And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza! Welcome everyone into the College Basketball Bonanza. We are back after a very enjoyable summer for myself, Nicholas Hodell, my partner Dominic Stern. We are getting back into the rhythm of things. And of course, we're going to have all kinds of content moving forward. But first off, Dom, how was your summer, my man? It was great. Uh, I told you this last night when I saw you. My summer consisted of three things. Video games, Potter's baseball, and umpiring. And it was a pretty productive summer. Obviously, there was recording other stuff and writing other articles mixed in there. But it was a ton of fun. It was a lot better than last summer. I mean, I feel like that you got to start there, Uh, but you know, everyone who knows me knows how big of a Potters fan I am. And I was able to see over 20 Potters ones in person this summer. They're uh, they're not winning right now, which sucks, but uh, I was glad that I got to see them win a ton. And now I'm uh, I'm back here in Arizona, ready to get the semester going, talk sports with all my friends. And that includes college basketball with you, my friend. Yeah. And uh, I think any, anything anyone could have done this summer would have been better than last summer given the timing of the pandemic and just how the summer of 2020 was really affected by things. But I mean, my summer for the most part, you know, got a nice little internship and just really being able to sort of relax um, from the semester grind uh, that the college can give you since it is definitely a lot, the further you go along, you know, the more time consuming a lot of this stuff takes. And of course it's great to, you know, be back with you doing this show and, it's going to be a very fun year, I can tell you that much. But first, on this special edition of the show, it's all about looking to the future. And quite frankly, there has been many different things, uh, three in particular we're going to talk about over the course of this program, that can really shape what college basketball looks like in the immediate and long-term future. And the biggest of those stories was Texas and Oklahoma saying basically screw you the big 12 we're going to the sec in four years time and that has now really taken a big approach to other conferences now trying to align with each other uh the big 10 pack to acc they're winding now doing some sort of alliance whether that ends up being a scheduling alignment or how they're going to do that it remains to be seen but i really think that texas and oklahoma going to the SEC, it could leave the Big 12 in complete peril, and it could completely change the way we see, you know, power, how many power conferences you have compared to really the mid-tier conferences. I really think that when this ends up happening, I think it's going to be a situation to where it will change the landscape of how many legitimate powers you have and where the utmost power of the collegiate sports go. Obviously, the SEC's had the power in football. You add Texas and Oklahoma from a basketball standpoint, the way those programs have been, in particular Texas in recent years, that could give the SEC a, a really, really good fighting chance to be the top dog in basketball as well. Yeah, and I mean, even Oklahoma, too. They've made tournaments before. They've made Final Fours in recent memory. So they're, they're no slouch of a program either. So... I mean, it's you have to point out this was really a football move is what it was, but it does really shake up the landscape in college basketball because it's not just affecting the schools 
in Texas and Oklahoma. It affects the rest of the conference in the Big 12. It affects the rest of the schools in the SEC. You know, don't be too surprised if Vanderbilt ends up leaving the SEC to go to like the ACC or maybe even the Big 10. Because think about it. I mean, they play in Tennessee. That's not too far from a lot of the schools. And they're a super, uh, I guess, like smart school. You know, none of the schools in the Big Ten are uh, any slouches when it comes to academics. So it's going to shake up everything else. Like it's not just, oh, Oklahoma and Texas are moving to the SEC. That's it. Like you have to look big picture here. And I would not be surprised if the Big 12 completely dismantles. Some teams go to the Pac-12. Some teams go to the Mountain West. Some other teams try and sneak into the SEC. I've seen a lot of rumors with Kansas possibly trying to do that. Some teams go into the Big 10. The American, there's a lot of possibilities for some of these teams to go because it's very obvious that Oklahoma and Texas were the two powers in the Big 12 just as a whole. And then Kansas for basketball has been that team's has been that conference and then Baylor's been good too but there's a lot of other details that need to be sorted out and like you said this isn't an immediate thing this is down the line in 2025 but there's going to be a lot of dominoes that fall over the course of these next four years leading up to that event I think that this move happening in four years also is going to give these conferences time to really figure out what they want to do as far as when the chaos starts happening. The Texas no going to the SEC, it really does remind me of a Nebraska in the Big Ten, and then all kinds of hell is breaking loose in terms of teams going pretty much wherever they seem fit. And I, it is going to be interesting to see what ends up happening in the Big 12. I got a feeling that there's going to be at least one school that gets unlucky and, and can't find a powered conference home and has to settle uh, for a conference like the American. I think that and we are going to see some downgrades. I think that in some cases, either the American or in some cases, the Mountain West, maybe there are two options there. Because let's be real here. None of these schools in the Big 12 that remain, should the conference disintegrate into complete obliteration, they're not going to want to go down too far. And they're still going to want a good conference that has a good media rights deal, which I also think that a lot of these media rights deals they are made with the implication of football. That's what makes the money at the end of the day. When it comes to college basketball, these conferences, they really aren't trying to get as much money from that because they know football is the bread and butter. That's where the money is. It really is going to be interesting, though, in, in, the, in the years down the line, after Texas Oklahoma go to the SEC, and after all of the chaos happens, to see where we are in terms of how many power conferences we have. It really does feel like a situation to where most of the bids of the NCAA tournament are only going to end up in about four conferences. And then you'll see like the American get your at-larges, the Mountain West get some at-larges, the A-10 get some at-larges. But it really is going to be a situation, I believe, to where those four powers that remain should the Big 12 disintegrate they're going to get most of the bids. I don't think a fifth power is going to emerge. No, and it'll be also interesting because there is a possibility that some of these other teams in like the American or the Mountain West, like Boise State, San Diego State, BYU, I, I imagine BYU is going to stay independent though, to see if they try and pursue options to climb the ranks instead of having other teams come down to their level. Like I said, the possibilities are endless here. I think that this is really fascinating. It kind of came out of nowhere. 
But then the schools released their like statements that were obviously very well coordinated. So this had been something in the works for a little bit of time, but it's going to be intriguing to see the way and just not even like a big picture thing. Like if you're in the big 12 and say you're like Texas tech, are you be extra motivated, like playing Texas and Oklahoma, just like in any sport, like, Hey, like this could be one of the last times we face you and you're, you're leaving us because you don't think we're good enough for you. Like, I think it, I think it could make those games really, really interesting. And uh, obviously we know that Chris Beard and Porter Moser will get his guys prepared for those games, but I think that could be a very interesting twist that I don't think a lot of people are talking about. Yeah. And, and I really think that in some of the cases to where you have teams that haven't quite been performing in, in the major sports as of late, these next few years could be critical in determining where they end up should the Big 12 disintegrate. If they don't perform over the course of the next three or four years, some of these schools that have been struggling, they could end up being left out of the power conference party and having to take a spot in the American should that end up happening. So I absolutely think you're right that I think that the Big 12, it's always a great basketball conference. We love talking about it but it really is going to be exemplified to the highest level in those games against Texas and Oklahoma. I think that we are going to be in for uh, quite a sweet treat in the Big 12, as we usually are. Uh, I, th- I really think that every school is going to be motivated to play them. And who knows, maybe we'll see some interesting things happen on the court as far as players really trying to take it to Texas and Oklahoma in a way that kind of exceeds the boundaries a little bit. Uh, while we're on the conference realignment topic, uh, in the immediate future, the Western Athletic Conference has really, quite frankly, hit the home run this year when they will be welcoming Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston, Lamar, and Abilene Christian to the conference, which really is a critical coach of the Southland Conference, taking three of the top four in this past season's regular season standings in the conference. And the Southland was already in a position to where if you go back over the last several years, they were already sort of in a position to where they were fighting to not be number 30 in the Kempom conference rankings that's measured by adjusted efficiency margin of a team that's expected to go average 500 in conference play this past year they hit number 30 in those rankings and quite frankly it wasn't even that close over a point difference against the northeast conference and traditionally the many strafetic conference and the southwest strafetic conference are number 31 number 32 i think that the southland conference unless they do something over the course of the next four years they could very well be in a spot to where they are permanently in the bottom three with the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference and the Southwestern Athletic Conference. What do you think the Southland Conference needs to do, Dom, in order to really get out of that and make that conference better after they're losing a lot of really good members? I think they need to invest in, uh, in their programs. And I, I don't know how like the Southland Conference works compared to some of these other conferences, but you got to try and find a way to – make sure that these programs are not wasting opportunities, not wasting money and is capitalizing on all the resources they have. Cause the difference between the Southland conference and a lot of these other mid majors, isn't that big. And we've seen time and time again, 
teams from the Southland Conference go out and they win NCAA tournament games. And you and I both know that the conferences get money when their teams play and win in NCAA tournament games. And the NCAA tournament is the biggest pool for these smaller conferences. And for the Southland, they had those good schools like Stephen F. Austin. They had Abilene Christian win a game this year. They've had a couple of other teams make it in the tournaments consistently and put up good fights. So they are getting a little bit more revenue than some of these other conferences. And they want to try, they should try and put as much of it into basketball as possible because if you can try and find a way to make these programs better, you can earn more money by winning more games in the NCAA tournament. And it'll then, you could disperse the money after that once you get that because it's like the Gonzaga thing. Like Gonzaga brings in so much money for the West Coast Conference and so do St. Mary's and BYU. But when Gonzaga goes on their final four runs, they're bringing in so much more money than every other school in every other program but then they don't get it back, invest back in them. And then sometimes they fall up short. You got to reinvest it and then you got to disperse later. So everything else can, uh, can profit there. Yeah. I really think that as far as the Southlands conference is concerned, it may come from a a financial point of view. And I also want to point out that central Arkansas going to the a sun this year, that's number five for the Southland, but they are losing uh, to another conference. So they are really in a position to where they will not be, nowhere near as big as what they are, have been in, in recent years. And I really think that it now is going to rely on some of these other programs that have been up there really in, in recent years to really step up uh, and really take over that role of being a very quality team that can do you some favors uh, when it comes time to really get down to it. Um, Nickel State in the past couple of years uh, is one that I, I look at as well as uh, Northwestern State, perhaps a couple of teams that could have a big opportunity on, on their plate uh, to really make themselves known as teams that are going to step up and be continuous contenders in the new Southland Conference. They are losing five members that are at least Abilene Christian, Sam Houston, and Stephen F. Boston have traditionally taught the Southland Conference. So this conference is going to look very, very different at the top when you lose so many of your leading contenders. It really is going to go down to how the Southland Conference goes about it. Do they try to get another team or two, uh, perhaps a school that may be looking to move up into the ranks of Division I? We'll have to see where the Southland ends up going, but you could definitely make that case that the Southland is going to look completely different and over the course of time and where that ends up going that is going to be very interesting but when when it really happened to the power conferences it it took some time for the mid-majors to really catch on and it seems that the mid-major realignment just hasn't really stopped over the course of the last several years some years have been big some years have been small but it is going to be a very intriguing factor to see really what what the Southland looks like and what's also what the Western Athletic Conference looks like. I think that is going to be a very key bit of where this season takes both of those respective conferences and obviously our coverage of all the mid-major conferences throughout the year. The second big story in following the collegiate sports landscape, NIL, name, image, and likeness. It's finally come to fruition. And I think the big memory for me 
of this summer when it comes to the NIL. The first day, all these deals were really going. And for some athletes, they were making a lot of money. It won't be as so for most collegiate athletes, but definitely those stars, if you have a social media following, you're going to have brands knocking on your door. And NIL, when it comes to college basketball, is going to be very intriguing, at least to me. Obviously, there's another big factor in recruiting to the G League, which we'll talk about later on. But I think that some athletes uh, that at least could be taking that G League route could be convinced to go to college to try to take advantage of those NIL opportunities. Yeah, I don't think this move was made in like the good of heart. It was more made to save the NCAA because they know that, hey, we're losing some opportunities. At some point, some football routes are going to open up. Routes in basketball, this is really especially basketball. We're opening up, you know, you saw LaMelo Ball go play in Australia or New Zealand. It doesn't really matter. And, uh, and then he goes and he gets drafted number three overall. And then he wins rookie of the year. Like these guys don't need college basketball, but some of them do. And some of them want to go there, but the NCAA needs these guys to go and put together an entertaining product so that people like us can talk and people like us can watch them. And that's how they make some money. So I think that decision was made because of that, but at the same time, it's awesome for these players because now they have more of an incentive, you know, Hey, let's build my own brand. Let's work hard. Let's, let's build myself something and set myself up so that even if I like have an injury or, you know, seek something else, I have something that I've fallen back on. I have some money and I think that it's huge for the sport. And I think it's awesome for these athletes because at the same time, they're also people and that often gets lost amongst people that they're not just athletes. They're not just our, uh, our entertainers. They're people. And now they have a chance to make money. Like you said, most of them, it's not a lot, but for the big people. And I, 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 I don't know, like basketball guys would stand out to me, but I know that Bryce young quarterback for Alabama Saban's already referred to him as the million dollar quarterback. Cause he has million dollar endorsement deals now. And that's awesome for just these college athletes to finally be able to not get totally taken advantage of by the NCAA. Two things, at least from what I've seen and trying to track different television ratings, it seems that two different things in, in, partic- in a particular order drive ratings. First, the schools. The name brands of the schools, the more of the volume they have, the better off the game will be airing on a network. Number two is the players. I really think that NIL has potential to bring more of those big brand players back into the college game, even if it's only for a year, that still helps the relevancy of college basketball and make it so that, okay, so it's like, okay, yes, we have our March Madness, but look, you can see these guys, you can see some of the best young players play pretty much every night. And I think that's the biggest thing that college basketball needs on an annual basis is star power. You, if you have a lack of star power, chances are it's going to lead to a lack of interest until the big NCAA tournament bracket is released. And I do think that perhaps NIL could be a deciding factor in bringing more people, more stars out of G League consideration and into the college ranks. Doesn't matter where they go to me. Doesn't matter where they go. As long as the NCAA in the collegiate cup basketball sport is bringing in star young players it's going to enhance the product 
And quite frankly, that's what college basketball needs, to have the product enhanced year in, year out. College football is going to be okay. I think everybody knows that. College football did not need NIL to, be, to, to, to remain relevant because that, that wasn't needed. College basketball, on the other hand, yes, the NCAA tournament is there and it makes a ridiculous amount of money. But in the regular season, how often will the average sports fan sit down on a Saturday and watch college basketball when they have other sports on? I think that really is going to be a very interesting factor to see over the next several years if there is going to be any impact whatsoever. So now we get into the perhaps the recruiting aspect of this. Yes, the star players could get into some of the bigger programs for NIL, make themselves a quick buck. I also wonder if some players that perhaps would be on the bench at a power program may decide to go to a lesser program, one, to ensure they get starting playing time, and two, perhaps they are thinking along the lines of, there could be more of an opportunity for me, even if it's only a little bit. I think you and I can relate from being college students that even a little bit goes a long way as far as money goes. And perhaps some of these players could decide to go to a lesser program, get that playing time, you know, become a star at, at these mid-major universities and perhaps get some NIL deals out of it. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I also think that like certain schools based on geographic location, you know, the prestige of it, they also will have some advantages. So every player is different. Not every player is going to be taking the same in whatever they're going to want to seek. They can have the opportunity to not go play there, but the opportunity to go make money there. And I think that recruiting is going to be so fascinating because like, you know, let's just use Arizona state as an example, because that's our school. You play in like the fifth biggest market in America in Phoenix. I mean, it's Tempe, but it's, it's Phoenix. Like, there are so many opportunities to make money through, through the NIL. Like we have already seen Jaden Daniels make multiple deals. And I don't think even a lot of people consider him to be a top 10 quarterback in this upcoming class, but the opportunity is there at big schools like Arizona state. And then I, I look at a school like Butler, they're in the big East, but they play in a big city. They play in Indianapolis, you know, college basketball central. Like you may not think of it, but, they got a lot of opportunities there. You think of like St. John's in New York, like there's schools in like certain geographical locations will have huge advantages. And then like, you know, I, I think of this cause my dad went there, but like Virginia tech, you play in the ACC, you know, you're a solid program, but you play in Blacksburg. Like, I, I don't know if there's as much opportunities like in Blacksburg as there are in some other places. So I think that those guys will also take those factors into calculations and whatnot for talking about where they want to go because you're not only just going there to play and get an education, but now you can also go there and make some money. Yeah. And I really also think that so some of the smaller universities, you know, some of this, the smaller businesses that are very, very popular amongst the college kids at universities, perhaps they get some opportunities there, but I do want to put your attention as well to uh, some data from a few days ago from open, open doors that was shared with sports illustrated the average deal division one was $471 and it was a vast range, $210,000 max, $35 medium. So it really is a situation to where, again, I mean, you, you could almost, you can almost say it like the, 
distribution of wealth in America right now to where the top 1% have so much of it. And then it just kind of goes way down on, on the curve where you get to the rest of the population. That's what's happening in, in, in division one at, at the very least. Not so much to division two, division three. And that's because there's no major name value uh, for, for the schools themselves and, and the media deals there. As far as where a lot of this money is coming from, nearly half of it, 46% is from social media promotions and nearly 30% is coming from NIL licensing rights. You break down to the, to the next question that's on this data, what are the most common types of activities? The social media promotions activity skyrockets to 88.5%. So social media and how you use it is going to be a huge deal. Doesn't matter what university, doesn't matter what sport. If you use social media well, you're going to do well. But it goes far beyond that as well when you see a lot of these NIL licensing deals in that second largest category. If you are a star player, I firmly believe that you will have an NIL deal, deal coming to you. It doesn't really matter where you are. And again, like I said earlier, for college kids, every little bit goes a long way as long as the said person budgets correctly, which obviously some of the college athletes, the decision make could be a little questionable at times, but as long as they are able to budget correctly, and this could take some time as well for, 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 the, for these programs to perhaps get some guys in and you know maybe teach them a little bit about, hey, you're doing all great with these NIL deals, you know? now how do you manage all this? I think that as far as NIL's deal go, it's going to be a good thing for this, for collegiate athletics all around. I think every athlete could tell you that. And I think that even though the NCAA was really, they never wanted to do it and they had their reasons for it. They eventually had to, they had to give in. And I think it's really opening up to a very interesting landscape when it comes to for potential recruiting as well. And, and the third point I want to make when it comes to potential recruiting the G league, it's become more and more of a, viable option for some of the top recruits in the game. First question I, I really want to get into is, does the NIL and how it's being implemented and how some of these stars are getting a very good sh share of, of, of the pot as far as being the, a, a top, top star, does the Avenue NIL, the lucrative potential of NIL, perhaps get some of these top guys to reconsider going to the G League at night? I mean, I think it does. I, I think that the opportunity to make some money and you feeling like you're not being totally taken advantage of because we've seen athletes come out and talk about that and how they, they didn't want to go to college, but they had to because there's no other route to the NBA and to their dreams. And I think that the G league is still going to be an option for some people because I mean, there's always those like five or six guys in every single draft class that don't need to go play college basketball to get drafted. They could jump into the NBA and you might as well put yourself up against better competition. And I think that some people will still do that. Like, like I said, every person's different. There's different scenarios for people. They've been like playing leagues and whatnot, like against professional basketball players or something like that. They say, you know what, I, I don't need to go to college because college, I'll still have to focus on my education, even though we all know that these guys get uh, people to take their tests and for them and whatnot. But I, I do think that NIL is going to lure some of like 
the mid-tier players maybe away, like mid-tier, like first round. So like Josh Christopher, for the example. But I think that uh, the top guys could still go to the G League, still could go play overseas for a year and still end up being successful because they don't, they still don't need the NIL in college. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the, the fair way to put it to where, you know, it's, it's up there, you know, it's on the table, you know, and I think a lot of those top guys, you know, if they could make, they put themselves up against that better competition, make themselves better, you know, go for it really. But I do think that perhaps more and more of the players that are well known amongst the recruiting ranks, they could decide at the end of the day that that value of, you know, getting some money, even if it is only a little bit, that, that could potentially do wonders for them. And I do think that is going to be a, a very interesting avenue to see how many guys on an annual basis year to year over the next four or five years take that route. I think that it's going to take a little bit of time to really realize the impact of NIL on recruiting and if the G League can really still be that viable option for, you know, three, four, five top guys. Because, I mean, in reality, if they get three, four, five top guys on an annual basis, they're doing well for themselves as, as that option. You know, that's not going to really go away. I, I really end up thinking that when it comes to perhaps guys going to play overseas, that could be another whole other thing uh, to where some guys may just prefer going overseas and just focusing strictly on basketball. I don't know if anything else is going to change that. I, I really, really don't. But at the, at the end of the day, I think these athletes, I think you'll probably agree with me here on this, they got to make the best decision themselves, really. You know, they got to they gotta look at their particular situation as far as their skill level and where they think their draft stock could be in the future and, and realize, you know, do I need the, the spotlight of college basketball and having a good performance in March? Or could I perhaps be fine in the G League? playing against a lot better competition, but not having the advantage of being in the college basketball spotlight. Yeah. And I think what you said about it, it taking, like, we're not going to find out immediately. I think that is very true because I think that guys in high school are going to be looking very carefully at what people's decisions are being made. And they're going to see like, Hey, how much money did this guy make? Hey, did it end up going how he would have thought? And I also think that you could be seeing college commits much later. Like we see some guys will commit their freshman, their sophomore year in high school because, you know, they get offered by the school that they want to go to. And, you know, hey, that's awesome. But I think that you could be seeing less and less of that now with this too. But I think that what you said about it more in the two or three years down the line, we'll see more of the greater impacts of this. I think that's right. And, and you make a good point of perhaps – some deciding to hold out later and really see what the fast array of options are. And, and it's coming to a point to where if these athletes aren't already taking into account every possible factor of making a college choice, NIL is going to be right up there. And I think it leads me to an interesting case of if these guys commit too late, are they going to be completely locked out? Since with Bobby Hurley and trying to build this year's ASU team, he knew right away that he had to get his guys immediately and got his transfers right away. And it got to the point to where you saw a lot of late activity because of it. I think these coaches, 
They want to get their guys as, as soon as possible so they can get a more clear outlook of what their roster look like. But could that be to the detriment of players holding out to see what the fast array of options are and perhaps extend the recruiting calendar to a point to where you're cutting it very close in the season, perhaps. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. And whether or not that in, uh, encourages illegal recruiting and whatnot, because we obviously know that that stuff happens because now you're going to be competing, like saying, Hey, like, Maybe we can't offer, you know, because these guys, they put these programs, they put a ton of uh, resources into their facilities and whatnot. But at the end of the day, like we were talking about with like certain places being certain schools being in certain places, some schools don't have that ability and they can't change that. So now we might see more of illegal recruiting to try and get that. It's going to be so fascinating and I, I can't wait. It's going to make college sports a lot more interesting. And I really think just to close it out, the time frame that we're, which we're going to truly know the effects of NIL, it's going to almost bleed into Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC and, we'll, and all the chaos that will emanate from that. I really think that this decade is oh so pivotal into finding out what the future of college sports goes. Uh, and that's not even to say college basketball alone. You know, it's, it's almost every single sport, really. Uh, and it's just that the sports like college basketball and college football that have those big media rights deals, they're the ones that are going to get impacted probably the most. And I think that we're really going to have a fun time over the next several years just trying to figure out where the future lies and if NIL is going to be that true game changer that it was really all hyped up to be on the very first day when so many athletes we're getting in with social media promotions and being able to use their brand effectively. I got to tell you, man, it's going to be a very, very fun. But of course, throughout the next several weeks, we'll be more focused in on the short term, meaning what to expect this upcoming season. So it's going to be a lot of fun in the next several months leading up into the college basketball season. Dom, as always, a pleasure to talk to you about just really all this great stuff happening. So for Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Have a fantastic rest of your day, night, whenever you happen to be listening on your favorite podcast platform. We'll see you around for the next episode of the College Basketball Bonanza.